what's privatisation actually done for us? Well, if you go back a long way to the 1980s and look at the speeches and the papers and so on written by the great privatisation advocates, a basic idea was an incredibly simple one. It was that the private sector was good and the public sector was bad. Private incentives, private profits meant efficiency. State incentives, state managers meant inefficiency, excess costs and gold-plated infrastructures. Well, it turns out 30 or 40 years later that we are now not necessarily stunningly more efficient in our infrastructures than all those countries that so foolishly didn't follow our path. You know, if you look at water, there's no evidence that the overwhelmingly state-owned water companies in Europe are any more or less efficient than they are in the UK. We paid a big premium, much higher profits, and we should have expected much higher efficiency. Not quite what was promised. But it'll take time to work that out. The jury's still crunching through the data and perhaps in 10 or 20 years we'll have a better perspective. All that we can say is it's not stunningly good news and we're not stunningly more efficient than our rivals. But, you know, all that stuff about efficiency was only part of what was really going on in privatisation. And there are two other related features which have come to the fore now as we've had the experience of the great financial engineering of the last 30 years. The main thing that happened at privatisation and the main political rationale for at least the Treasury at the time was that we would move from what we'd had for the 30 or 40 years since the Second World War, pay as you go, to pay when delivered. Now, this really matters because pay as you go meant that, you know, for example, for the CEGB, investment was paid out of the current revenues from current customer bills. All those power stations were built from the bills. And it was a generational chain letter. You know, each generation paid for the investment and the next generation inherited the assets that were created as a result. The great wheeze of pay when delivered was that we could have lots of investment taking place, or at least that was the idea, but the current customers, and of course, critically, current voters, wouldn't have to pay. The future customers and the future generations would get the benefit of the investment and they would pay. And the balance sheets of the privatised companies would be stuffed full of gearing, borrowing, to pay for all that investment and eventually spankingly good infrastructure would be handed on with the bill to pay back that debt and, of course, the servicing of it. Now, here we are 30, 40 years later and the balance sheets have been substantially exhausted. You know, Heathrow is 95% geared. Your Thames Water, 80% geared. Those balance sheets, that capacity to borrow for pay when delivered, 
has basically run its course. And we have to ask ourselves, what were those balance sheets used to do that job to get us to pay when delivered? And the answer is, and this is a huge critical feature of where regulation went wrong, those balance sheets have been used for financial engineering purposes to essentially mortgage the assets, take the money and pay it out to shareholders. Perfectly straightforward for the companies. They were allowed to do this by the regulators and indeed the regulators at times thought this was positively a good idea because it demonstrated in inverted commas financial efficiency. This was private sector incentives at work. Well, the result is that they're all highly geared now and whether we like it or not, and you can see it in the bringing forward of RAB models, not just for the conventional utilities, but for things like nuclear and CCS, with assets in the course of construction being paid for, that we're on our way back to pay as you go, because there's no more pay when delivered borrowing out there or capacity to borrow from those balance sheets. So the great era of gearing up the balance sheets has happened. It hasn't produced the spanking new assets that we need. And that is largely at the door of the regulators who have seriously failed us, and especially in energy and water, but also in aviation and elsewhere. Now, this leads to the other big implication, and it follows from all this borrowing and gearing. It is that since we in the UK don't save very much, in fact, we save very little as households, consumers, industry doesn't save very much. It doesn't use retained earnings, and especially in the utilities, to finance investment. And of course, government is a net disaver. So we don't save, but savings have to equal investment. All that investment that was supposed to happen is supposed to come from somebody's savings, and that savings is foregone consumption. But we don't do it. And so the result is that that savings has largely have to come from foreigners. And it's no accident that both the government and the opposition are falling over themselves to say how nice they're going to be to foreigners and foreign investors. And sure, they need to be, because otherwise there's no one else to do the investing because nobody else has got the money because nobody else is doing the savings. And it's worse than that going forward because it's not just that we don't save, that we have to rely on foreigners to do the investing. We also spend on imports way beyond our means relative to our exports by about 8% of GDP. And what's the consequence of that? Well, the consequence is that foreigners not only have to lend us the money to do the investing in the infrastructure, they have to lend us the money to pay for our excess consumption of imports to balance the balance of payments. The capital account has to balance their current account. There has to be a big inflow of foreign capital into the UK to allow us to live beyond our means. How does that reflect it? Well, part of that capital Part of the way in which we get people to lend us the money to allow us to live beyond our means is effectively that we have to sell them off the family silver. 
So it's not just we want foreigners to invest in our infrastructure because we won't save. We've been flogging off our infrastructure to foreigners in order to live beyond our means, which is reflected in our balance of payments and our government deficits too. And so when you hear people bleating about how awful it is that foreigners own so much of our infrastructure, either directly because they own many of the utility companies or indirectly because they own shares and debt in the publicly quoted British companies, when people bleat about this, the answers are pretty straightforward. If you want great infrastructure, if you want to invest to rebuild Britain's networks, if you want to invest to do net zero, fine. Then you've got to live within your means and pay for it. And in due course, foreigners will get to a position as investors where they'll wonder whether future customers pay when delivered are actually going to be capable of paying the interest and the dividends and capable of paying the capital back. And if you look at the affordability crisis and the bad debt that's building up at the moment, you can see lots of evidence that this may not, in fact, be true for much longer. So here we are, 30, 40 years after the great privatisation experiment. We don't have spankingly good utilities that are stunningly efficient that the world is learning from, from our efficiencies. We don't have balance sheets left to do stuff. And on top of that, we've sold off lots of the assets to foreigners. It's time to get real. It's time to face up to what we really have to do in order to modernise and rebuild our economy. Thank you. <laughs>